All right, everybody. Today on Toyota Untold, if you didn't know, now you know. This is the year of the Supra, Kelsey. I know. (laughs) At the Detroit Auto Show back in January of 2019, we unveiled it there. It launched in dealerships in July July. to much fanfare. And if anybody wants to hear about this, go back to season one and listen to our Supra episode. But today, people are able to see the vehicle. They can walk in. I just saw one in our, our garage. The other night. It looks good. In your garage at your house? No. Unfortunately not. (laughs) The kids don't fit in the back. Oh, yeah. That's probably true. (laughs) I think people have been waiting to get their hands on it. In today's episode, we've got two people we're going to be talking to. The first is Miguel Jimenez, and he runs the largest Supra event in the country. Yeah. So I feel like if you didn't know, or if you're not part of the Super Cult, everyone should know that Super has a cult following. All the way from the first back in the 70s and 80s, people love these cars so much that they have an entire event in Vegas where people from across the United States and sometimes Canada come to bring their Supras. Yeah. Sometimes they race them. They mm-hmm. take a little a drag, drive out in the... I guess you desert into the desert and yes. then also like down the Vegas strip. So we talked to Miguel who tells us all about the event, what people can expect if they want to go. It's open to everyone. You don't even have to have a Supra. Mm-hmm. And we have some audio from the event where they do testing. So if you know, hearing an engine getting revved up really gets you going, this is for you. Get that Supra on the dyno. That's right. Later in the episode, we're going to be talking to Stefan Papadakis of Papadakis Racing. He actually took one of our stock Supras for SEMA and he reworked the engine to make it a thousand horsepower. Disclaimer, that vehicle is a special project car modified with non-genuine Toyota or Lexus parts and accessories. Modification with non-genuine parts or accessories will void the factory warranty, may negatively impact vehicle performance and safety, and may not be street legal. So now that we got that out of the way, let's get going. So, Supra lovers. This episode's for you. Let's get into it. So today on Toyota Untold, we have Miguel Jimenez. You started like the biggest Supra event in the U.S. and quite possibly the world. Yes, it's actually, I'll, I'll, I'll do this properly so that the old Toyota guys don't get upset if they right. hear this. Supra's Invade Las Vegas was the original one. Okay. And uh, it kind of died off in 2009. I finished my Supra in 2010, so I was never able to attend it. Mm. So at that point, I'd already, you know, I was good friends with, uh, you know, some of the core guys in Southern California. And we decided we need to have something again. I mean, mm-hmm. it can't just die off. Started a new one called Supras in Vegas mm-hmm. in 2010 was the first one. I literally on the fly. Uh, two months of planning. <laughs> <laughs> so there's only 20 Supras that showed up. Yeah. But we had a lot of fun. And, and uh, it was... Uh, Myself and uh, who has been my title sponsor and uh, from the beginning, uh, driftmotion.com, who's also a huge Supra provider of parts and owns a new one, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a launch edition. Of just, so you know, it just, is. just so you know, it's one of the 50, first 1500. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, yeah, Aaron, Aaron and his group, and, and we just built it up from there. Within by the fourth year, we were up over 150 cars. First of all, how did you have no 20 people? 
to get the first one started? Like, how did you know 20 people that had Supras? Basically contacting people from past events. Uh-huh. Uh, at the time, superforums.com was very popular. In okay. the last two years, it's kind of died off. Facebook and Instagram have kind of taken over right. all forums, basically. So we we all were in communication through there as well. And 20 is not a big number. And it was mostly, it was literally my buddy Dave from uh, from Arizona and my buddy Doug from Utah and the rest were all California guys. Okay. <laughs> so this year, for example, there's 16 states being represented. We've been as high as 22 different regions because the last two years we've had people from British Columbia and Eastern Canada come down too. Oh, wow. So with their cars. So it's it's grown quite a bit. So it's, it's really cool to see that growth. But the community was out there. It was just yeah. needed to find it. So what's the draw for super owners across the United States? You know, they have the communities online that they can mm-hmm. talk to one another and share pictures, stories, whatever. So why do they come together in person? I think that the draw is the people. Mm-hmm. There's literally close friendships that we've built over the time I've been in that community from the beginning to now. So it's really more of like a family, like a community really that's is. been created. Uh, I have close friends in the, in the PAC Northwest in Washington, and, and I've driven up to their event. They have an event every year as well in mm-hmm. June, July. It's smaller. But, uh, and that draws in the British Columbia crowd, the Oregon and Washington crowd. Mm-hmm. I see them once a year. Yeah. At, in Vegas. Mm-hmm. They still come down yeah. all the way. So... It's it's definitely a family affair. I've literally seen my buddy's Doug, his Supra from Utah. He's come every single year from Utah. I've seen his kids grow up from not having kids mm-hmm. <laughs> to now he has three. Yeah, <laughs> over the last nine years. So it's that type of environment. Mm-hmm. We don't make I don't make money on this event. Right. Yeah, it's it's not what I started it for. That was the first thing me and Aaron talked about was we're not trying to make money here. Right. If I can break even. And I'm not paying at the end of the year for this event. I'm fine with it. Yeah. You know, and that's where we're at. So every year you get 20, 30 new faces. So it recycles. So it's really nice because we're starting to see a little bit younger crowd come into the older Supras. It's what, you know, it's it's Mm -hmm. just like you see in the hot rod community, you know, which is cool. But uh, it's turned into a great event and it's turned into a great, and I've gotten to meet there. We get people that travel from, you know, internationally travel out to Vegas without their cars mm-hmm. just to attend the event. We've had mm-hmm. people from Germany. We've had people uh, from, from Japan, right? From I Japan, mean, yes. Been well, a couple of your executives showed yes. up yeah. one year. <laughs> that was a surprise. That was yeah. a good surprise. We've had Calty Design bring out the FT1 one year. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was 2013 or 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, you know, so we've had a lot of cool, small, and big experiences throughout the years with the event. And, you know, we I, I honestly, in 2010, I, I don't know if I could have told you it would be almost 10 years. So, why Supra? What's for special me about the car? Yeah, for you yeah. and then your general consensus about, like, the feelings of the people that are with you. I'll start with myself. My family wasn't a huge car family by any means. My dad liked looking at cars, but they were all old cars and classic cars, which I love. But the Japanese import community is where I gravitated to. I opened a shop in 2001, late 2001, 2002, in my hometown. And uh, right at the start of when drifting became popular or was becoming popular. So I've known a lot of these guys in the Formula D stuff, pro guys that have been around for a long time Mm -hmm. before they were ever pros. Mm -hmm. Like, the the reason why I got a Supra 
is actually I had I've owned five RX7s, five Nissan 240SXs, and my last Nissan 240SX I was going all in. We had it; it was going to be a complete restoration, basically. Mm -hmm. I had uh, picked up a 2JZ motor to put in it. At the time, no one was doing that. Mm -hmm. It was very not very popular. Now everybody Where did you find 2J just a 2JZ motor? I just look around. <laughs> <laughs> I got lucky. There's around. a guy in town that had tried to put it in a Volvo, and he couldn't get it to work. He sold it to me for cheap. Oh, and because I'd been working on cars before. I'd already worked yeah. on Supras and SC300s and stuff. I had extra parts laying around. So I put this all together, and then someone uh, uh, ran a stop sign and hit my 240SX. Mm. And it wasn't a major accident, but they totaled the car. Mm. And at the time, it was worth some money because of fair market value. Everybody wanted a 240 to go drifting. This was 2008, 2009. Yeah. So what do I want to do? I didn't want to get another 240 because it was starting to be the Honda Civic of my era, which is everybody had one. <laughs> yeah. So I love the fourth generation Supra and I love the 80s generation cars. because, mm -hmm. And I've all the RX-7s I owned were uh, uh, second gen RX-7s, which were all, you know, 86 to 89. So my wife found a 1987 Toyota Supra. She said, why don't you put the Supra engine into a Supra? No one's doing that right now. No one's really going all in on those, so, uh, on that generation. So that's how I ended up in that community. Uh, and from that point, I met a bunch of people that Toyota knows now well, like Nick Stanowski, who's a good friend of ours and uh, really brought me into the community. And then Aaron from Drift Motion and a bunch of other people that are involved with, uh, with, the, with, with Toyota Direct uh, in their booth last year at SEMA and everything. It's really cool. So that just grew from there. Right. Is there a difference now that the Supra is on dealer lots? Does that change the dynamic? It does. In a weird way. Uh, I know there's a lot of people excited to actually see it in person to where they can touch it because a lot of people haven't gone to the dealership to look at mm -hmm. it and, or been close enough to it other than YouTube videos and photographs. The purest guys don't want to accept it for some reason. Mm -hmm. Right. You we know, know why. I'm a car lover and I love driving on the tracks. I have a history of drifting. I have a history of road, you know, being involved with drifting, road racing, all that. So to me is... How does the car perform overall? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted to see. The, from the beginning of the announcement, I was just waiting to see how it performed. Mm -hmm. Luckily enough, I knew a lot of people that were involved in Spain when you guys did the test drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I got firsthand right away, dude, this car is pretty awesome. It drove great. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking people like Frederick Osbo, Kangushi, mm -hmm. uh, Garrett Yamada, who wor works for y'all. And mind you, it's not an endurance road race challenge they were driving. Yeah. But these are people that, for example, Ken Gushi, I've known since he was 16. You know, in the drift really? community. Uh, yeah, I've known him for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I work with him mm -hmm. through my normal job, uh, you know, in, in regards to, to his race team now with Greddy and all them. I've, I've known a lot of those guys for a long time. So their, their feedback means something. At least to me, it did. Yeah. yeah. You know, so then as soon as... It went out to the media and you got to see the YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. and you got to see the car driving. You know, you're like, okay. And then to me, it was, I always knew that it, it was still going to be a Toyota. Regardless of, you know, earlier I said, regardless of how the, what the sticker says on the suspension component. It's not like BMW built the car and yeah. you're reselling it. Mm -hmm. You're just using their components, but you put your signature on it. I mean, I guess the only example I can give is 
you know, I coach rugby in San Antonio, you know, just because half the team uses Adidas doesn't mean it's going to be that great. It yeah. has nothing to do with what ingredients other than how myself and my coaching staff are preparing those ingredients, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. By the way, we're Division Three national champions. But I would say it's a 50-50. Mm -hmm. A lot of people really are interested in seeing it up close. And I think that we have 10 total uh, A90 Supras coming out to the event this year. So they're going to really get a good look at it. What do you think it's going to take for the, the other 50%? They have to see it. I think the biggest thing right now is to see how the car performs overall. So tell us about the event overall. What are people getting to experience? The events basically follow the same type of foundation. It's a three-day event. It used to be a two-day, but once we started getting beyond those 60 people, mm -hmm. it'd be, uh, 60 uh, registered cars, we turned it into a three-day event. So everybody usually gets in on Wednesday midweek, and I would say about 90% of the registered attendees come in on Wednesday evening. Uh, Thursday morning, we get together at our host hotel's parking lot, and we check everybody in. And it's, uh, you know, just come in, get your goodie bag, mm -hmm, check in. Mm -hmm. And then about two hours later, I make an announcement because we always started off with a scenic drive. This year, we're going for the first time, we're going up northeast Las Vegas to Valley of Fire, mm. which I've never been to. And we usually have a couple guys that are, you know, that either are photographers or have, you know, have the equipment with video equipment and whatnot. And, and we all share it at the end of the event they'll be up ahead photographing a line of cars, you know, and it's really cool to see a That's line awesome. of a hundred cars, of mm -hmm. any car, you know. I was going to say, it must be like a spectacle to people who are not involved in the event when you drive by. It's always funny to see their face when they see all of those show up at once. Yeah. And they love it. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, not every car is a show winning car, but that's not the point. Mm -hmm. I got really close friends in the community that they haven't been able to finish their cars, but they still run and they still make the drive. And again, that's why it's not about the cars. 100, 140, 140 plus cars, you know, you might have a group of 30 that are elite, mm -hmm. you know, if that, uh, to that level. But everyone's driving the same. So, What do you consider elite, an elite Supra? Oh, man. <laughs> I guess everybody's got their own view, right, of what an elite car is in any division. But it's just that, and it doesn't even need to be modified. I've seen elite status on an OEM level where even the car mileage may not be low, but, you know, you got 100,000 plus miles on a car, but you can still eat off the engine bay. And this right. guy drives his car everywhere. You know, uh, the paint is immaculate. You know, the, the way they've set up the suspension, the wheels, and all the modifications, they, it looks like it should be that way. Mm -hmm. I think any car community, that's what you're looking for. You know, inside and out, just pristine. Mm -hmm. Maybe 10 people tow their cars. Uh, 10 to 15. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a couple long haulers from Connecticut, right. from Florida, that have their cars, tra cars transported. But most everybody is driving their car there. So you're seeing some really show-winning cars. Yeah. And, wow. you know, so it's, it's really cool. So, and also... You know, the power, you know, there's a dyno day involved in the event. So, I mean, day one is just scenic drive. It's yeah. really chill. It's just basically a, a greet, meet and greet. A lot of people know each other, a lot of new faces. Everybody gets together, get basically just to get a taste. Thursday night's open, nothing scheduled. Generally, the second day is always the car show, the show and shine. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, uh, we'll be at uh, Speed Vegas for the first time, which is a driving experience location. Uh, and that was set up through Sam Dew, who I know you, uh, Toyota knows mm-hmm. well from yeah. Super Street Magazine. Uh, I've known Sam for a while as well. And they stepped up with that. He's bringing his Supra as well. That'll be a cool event. It always is. Everybody really gets to just hang out, clean up their cars really nice. I think we're doing 32 awards this year. So I have two questions for you that are are unrelated to the event, but related to the Supra. So you said that obviously there's like different people that are part of different generations. So like over Mm -hmm. the overall family, you've got the second gen people, the third gen people. How would you differentiate these people? Obviously, the cars are different, but like are their personalities different? Or are you like, oh, that's definitely a oh, third-gen yeah. person? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's how, a first-gen. Just, gen. just yeah. like any like, community, man. You, yeah. got, you got the classic Mustang guys, and they're always bickering at the new Mustang guys. Uh-huh. Going to the Porsche community, gosh, don't, don't get involved in that argument. Mm-hmm. But no, the it, it's it's not as, I wouldn't say it's as aggressive as some of those other communities, but the second-generation people like to stick to themselves a little bit, not in a stuck up kind of way, but they're a smaller community. So yeah. they all, most of everybody who has a restored or modified one, they know each other Yeah, because there's not a lot of them and it's not the popular car. So they're a tight knit community. Uh, there's 10 cars registered and they come from California, Arizona, uh, mostly West Coast cars. The third gen community, that is, that's a melting pot. Okay. You got some guys that are that are basically they come, they're younger and they come from the the drifting world, so their modifications mm-hmm. are a little they're a little more extreme into regards of the looks mm-hmm. and how the car sits. It's got some power, but it's not crazy, you know. Um, and it's the younger crowd. And mm-hmm. then the other half of the of the third gen uh, super community are the guys like me. We're older. We have a little bit more. Uh, I guess technical approach to it. We want to make it look good, and the cars do look good, but it's it's very much more feng shui, if you will, organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everybody gets along well in the Mark Three community. So that's kind of the the chill community, if you will. Mm-hmm. The Mark Four community, in my experience, they have a reputation of like where they're real snobby. <laughs> <laughs> not all of them. It's actually not even fifty percent because I have a lot of good friends in that community. They have the echelon of the older generations, you know, right. the 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 car that put the Supra on the map, right. the, you know, and don't say it's the Fast and the Furious car around any of those guys because they... I want to talk about that. I want to, <laughs> yeah. like, that's a, a fair question. Do you think, like, what do you think that that impact that that movie had on it? It had the, a huge impact on right. it. Right. I don't want to say it put the car on the map. I think it just brought more attention to that and the import community in general. I yeah. mean, that was... When I saw the preview for that movie, you know, 2001, you know, I was two years out of college. It was like right up your alley. I was like 23 at the time, you know. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And then I went and watched it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so inaccurate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a technical person. But it was still a cool movie. And honestly, I know a lot of people in the super community that that are now in their 30s that that movie was the reason why. They wanted the Supra. Yes. Okay, so day two is show and shine. What is day three? Day three is the dyno day. What happens at dyno day? So basically, you drive the vehicle onto these rollers. They hook up a sensor to pick up the ignition time, the ignition signal, the RPM, and it all is displayed on a computer. You know, and then the person in charge of the shop will drive the car, or whoever it is they choose, drives the car on the dyno like they would drive it on the street. Mm. Now, you can go through all the gears. You can set resistance on it. 
et cetera. Well, based on how fast it spins those wheels, it measures the output of the power of the vehicle. Okay. So part of every performance car meet is, you know, who's got the best horsepower? Who's Mm -hmm. got the powerfulest car? Powerfulest. That's not even a real word. It it is now. powerful. (laughs) It's fine. It is now. But uh, so that's always a popular event. Okay. We usually get about 20, 25 cars that that, that pre-register to run their cars on Mm -hmm. there. The strongest car we've had in our in our nine years, we've had two cars go over a uh, thousand horsepower. Wow! Be, uh, a lot of those cars don't come out very often anymore because they're 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 basically the value of them has gone up. Especially most of them are are, are thir- fourth generation. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you want to preserve it. They're being right? preserved, exactly. yeah. yes. But the uh, the Dino Days is is definitely more laid back. Uh, we've done it at the same place every for the last five years. A gentleman who owns All Access Tuning in Las Vegas is Devin, and he was one of our original 20 people. He had a uh, third-generation super at the time. He answered your call. Yeah. All Mm -hmm. right. If people want to go next year Mm -hmm. and they want to bring their Supras, what do they need to do? Register early. (laughs) Early. You got to plug that website. Come on. Oh, supersinvegas.org. All right. And uh, Instagram is supersinvegas. So grab your Supras. Register early. Registration usually opens up in February. The right. sooner we get everybody registered, the cooler things we can come up with. Vegas doesn't wait for anybody. Right. That's right. You know, it's uh, it's on the community. We can do more. We can do cooler things. But like I said, it's uh, it's not a for-profit business that, that we try to generate with this. So registration is important. But in the end, you don't have to have the nicest car. Yeah. Period. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you don't it's even fandom. have to have a car. Mm-hmm. We haven't charged for spectating in four years. Wow. So the show and shine is free to the public. The dino is free to the public if you want to come watch. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We loved having you and hearing your perspective on this community. Yeah. Thank you, Toyota and y'all. It was great. It's honestly, it's, it's very cool to be here. Straight out of Vegas. Here's some audio from the Supers in Vegas event. I haven't seen this car since all the revisions he did to it. And uh, today I got to it. It's an awesome car and I think it's well deserving. Uh, look at all the little details on this Mark IV Supra. The styles of fittings used, the, the clamps, everything. Uh, extremely well built. Uh, engine bay. Uh, Eric Lamb. All right, Kelsey. So apparently what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. Not for these people because we have their audio on file. (laughs) So just like Miguel said, you don't have to have a Supra to go to the Vegas event. If you're just into Supras and want to take a look, you're more than welcome to register. Or you can just follow along on social media. Their Instagram is at Supras in Vegas. Get on it. Okay, so next, Tyler talked to Stefan Papadakis. As we mentioned earlier, he is a Papadakis Racing. So take it away, Tyler. So today we have Stefan Papadakis on our show. I'm so excited about this interview because you're like a legend in terms of building race cars and tuning engines. And you're the owner of Papadakis Racing. You are one of the winningest Formula Drift teams in the series history. You've made a 1,000-horsepower, four-cylinder, rear-wheel drive converted Toyota Corolla hatchback with Frederick Osbo, who's one of our drivers. 
And you were the 2018 SEMA Masters of Motors winner. That's like incredible. Yeah, we've, we've had a good run. What you're doing for us for SEMA, let me lay this out for everybody. So we've given you a 2020 GR Supra and you're trying to make it go from stock to putting a thousand horsepower engine into it, correct? That's right. And you started documenting that process in a four-part video series on YouTube. And I've watched the first three. I'm like waiting with bated breath for the fourth one to come out. So how has that process been? It's been relatively smooth. The challenge is really coming up to try to make the power. You know, once we really, you know, get the engine running and put it under a lot of load uh, to try to make that thousand horsepower, that's when the problems could show themselves. Mm -hmm. But this is a process that we've done, you know, several times before with different engines, like, you know, the thousand horsepower engine you talked about that we ran in the Corolla, which is the Toyota based on the Toyota 2AR engine. This, but this is just the first time we've actually, you know, okay, let's document it. Let's show everybody the process. And for me, you know, and other types of motorsports, I think it's really exciting. A lot of stuff that they don't show, you know, I, I get it that the, what happens on track, but I really like to see how stuff is built and some of the yeah. techniques that they use and the technology, but you don't see that very much or almost not at all. Yeah. So we thought it'd be fun to, to share that. Have there been any surprises, challenges, obstacles in this project? We went into this engine never seeing inside of it. We didn't know what we were getting into. Some of the challenges have been, you know, getting a lot of the aftermarket companies to align to the relatively fast-paced schedule we have. Right. They've stepped up as well. So, you know, cross my fingers and knock on wood, it's been uh, it's been relatively smooth so far. What was one piece of engineering specifically that surprised you pleasantly? I think that with these modern engines and just modern cars, with the drive towards having lower fuel economy, a lot of the components, they want to make lighter weight. Less weight, you're moving it, you know, accelerating less mass, you get better economy. The engine... They've got a lot of uh, well-engineered components like the block and just the engine mount. And a lot of it where you can tell it's engineered in a way where it's stiff and strong, yet lightweight. So there's not a lot of material, but they'll have ribs and a different reinforcement features instead of just having a bunch of thick material, like maybe engines in the past. Right. What was your favorite modification that you did? And it's probably the work that we did on the cylinder head. These engines have a certain amount of airflow, you know, in and out. That's what we're trying to do to get more power. We want to get more airflow in uh, and more airflow out. That way we can add more fuel and, and make more horsepower. And the cylinder head has these, the holes, the, the, the ports yep. and the valves where the air flows in and out. For different reasons, the factories will have a certain, you know, size and flow. But for us, you know, we're trying to triple the horsepower. We want as much flow as we can. So there's these really sophisticated flow testing machines, what they call a flow bench, mm -hmm. where we put the cylinder head on this testing tool and we see what the flow is from the factory. And then our cylinder head guy gets in there and actually makes these ports larger in certain areas to try to get additional flow uh, for our requir requirements. So in going through that process, it's a fun collaborating with uh, Tom that does our cylinder heads yep. and, you know, see what the factory did and try to, you know, uh, realize why they would design the, the port a certain way. And then once it's all done, having this, you know, modified uh, component all ready to bolt back on the engine. And millimeters of space could really make all of the difference in getting to a thousand horsepower, right? Yeah. And there's other 
things that can happen. Like you want to make this hole in the port larger, but if you make it too large, you can enter another part of the cylinder head, like where the water passages are and things like that. So you can't just start, you know, grinding away at stuff without kind of understanding some limitations there may be. Right. And I go back to what you said about, you know, it's not fun just to watch me sit around thinking, but what I, the video shows the four-part series is all of the partners that you work with to get this done. And you're, this isn't just a, you know, 15-second clip in the video. This is time that you're spending with these engineers to really think through these problems, right? Totally. And because the Supra has done so well in the aftermarket for a lot of these companies, it's so heavily modified. They have a lot of anticipation that this Mark V Supra will also have a long, but a lot of people will want to modify it for a long period of time. So, you know, we obviously want to build these parts for the engine that we're building. But in addition to that, these manufacturers want to, you know, work with us so they can develop these parts for customers to buy as well. So there's a, there's a lot of effort going into this to, uh, to make sure everything is as good as we can design it and as good, great as they can you know, manufacture it. Was there anything that those partners saw that they thought was unexpected? Yes, a lot of the hardware was was quite good. Like the some of the limitations you can research on these engines where uh, you want to make a lot of power is some of the hardware, like the, the cylinder head bolts that hold the head down, the bolts that hold the rods together. Um, a lot of the hardware, uh, you can reach those limits um, as you raise the horsepower. Right. Uh, but the factory hardware is actually quite good. So some of the, like our ARP, the company that did the cylinder head studs for us, they're like, oh, we can't, we're not just going to do the st standard cylinder heads. We're going to go to this like upgraded version that we normally just put on the really high-end racing engines. Right. So uh, in order to surpass the the factory clamping loads, without getting too specific on it, like the factory bolts are so good that that they really had to put a lot of effort in to, to make them even better. Awesome. I saw that the first video you released has over 3 million views. What is the feedback that you've gotten from launching this? Yeah, it's interesting. A couple of different things. One is that people really enjoy the in-depth, uh, not only camera work, but being able to, you know, seeing it, like a lot of those components very close, mm -hmm. but also the narration and, and how I can explain things, I guess, that might be kind of complicated in a simpler way that's more digestible. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, you know, the car was in this engine is so unknown that there were some people kind of hesitating whether they wanted to either buy the car or maybe modify it or, you know, how much power could it take. But actually after they saw the inside of the engine in this video, uh, they were way more optimistic to, you know, raise the, the turbo boost levels and to push the engine a little bit higher oh, uh, in horsepower. And they've actually had some great results. I mean, there are several owners that have gotten over 600 horsepower uh, by changing the turbocharger and raising the turbo boost uh, with never, you know, getting into the engine and modifying it. Before you started this project, were you, were you a super fan? For sure. Yeah, I'm a super fan, but I always, you know, the, the cars we've been racing have really been four cylinders and, uh, you know, the hatchbacks and stuff like that. So right. we really haven't built any Supras here. But, you know, Frederick Osborne, our driver, <laughs> he's been comp competing with Supras for years. And, uh, yeah, he, he really enjoys kind of looking over my shoulder and watching this stuff because he really is into the Supra, into the Supra stuff. 
So I really appreciated in the videos the level of discussion, as you mentioned, kind of breaking it down of what's happening and what you're doing. It was very action-packed. I feel like I needed to watch each video probably two or three times. But you're going to be doing something similar at SEMA. What, tell us about what you're doing at SEMA this year. What we have directly in front of us is, is once we dyno the engine and finish that, we're actually going to bring it back to the shop. We're going to totally disassemble it again, clean all the parts, box everything up, including the tools, bring them all to the SEMA show in Las Vegas. And at the SEMA show in the Toyota booth, we're going to reassemble the engine on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So we'll do like a third of the assembly each day. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the show, we'll have reassembled it live uh, in the Toyota booth. And you're going to be streaming this, right? That's right. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Incredible. I'm so excited for that. That will truly give people an inside look, right? Especially who are there. I think the cars are a huge attraction to SEMA, but a lot of people are also interested in engines. Yeah. And uh, I think this is one of those opportunities to show an exciting engine uh, firsthand. Have you done something like this at SEMA before? Never. This is super rare. This might be a little unprecedented for someone to not only do some assembly like this uh, at SEMA, right. but also live stream it. It's exciting. It's a lot of stress, you know, on my end, because I better do it right. <laughs> Everybody's watching. I can't edit it. I've got practice doing one engine already. So what does the future of Papadakis Racing look like? We're having a lot of fun in, in Drift right now, and we're having a lot of fun building this YouTube content. So, I mean, for the foreseeable future, the next two or three years at least, I think we're going to stay on that track and and get out to the Drift events and try to win and, and share as much of that as we can. Awesome. Stefan Papadakis, A, I love saying your name so much. B, thank you so much for joining Toyota Untold. Yeah, for sure. It's a lot of fun. And if you want to follow Stefan Papadakis on YouTube, his handle is at Papadakis Racing. That's P-A-P-A-D-A-K-I-S Racing. We had a great time with him, Kelsey. Yeah, no, that was really interesting. I mean, really held your own on these with these technical I did my research. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) All right. So that's all we have for today. All things Supra. Look for us next week as we discuss making of a driver. This is like making the band for racers. It really is. Yeah. So... Kids who become actual race car drivers. Kids who drive cars before they have their license and then end up doing it professionally. I got to so, get my kids into this. I mean, I I honestly think I missed my calling. I think that I should have been a racer. Absolutely. Our show is produced by Sharon Hong and Allison Powell. The music you're rocking out to is by Wes Meixner. We are edited and mixed by Crate Media. Thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy our podcast, make sure you give us your feedback. Hit subscribe. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and email us your comments at podcast at toyota.com. And if you want to talk to me on social media, make sure you tag Toyota at Toyota on Facebook and Twitter at Toyota USA on Instagram and YouTube. Thanks, guys. <laughs>